0: Welcome to Let's Talk Yet. I'm Chris Ford and I'm joined as always by Dr. Zahi Atala. Zahi, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm hoping that very many people were not
1: irritated by our previous segment uh, with regard to the length of the term, but uh, we'll see from what we get from people in terms of well, Let's responses. see if we can
0: irritate them some more this time. You're very giving. (laughs) So we are going to be talking about competency-based education. So, you know, it's something that gets talked about a lot. And, uh, you know, obviously we we talk to a lot of people that are well-versed in higher education, but Zahi, for those that may not be as versed, when we talk about competency-based education, what are we talking about in general?
1: Yeah, uh, other names for it that aren't necessarily really synonymous, there are some differences, but you know, grossly uh, within the same vein are performance-based education, proficiency-based education, mastery-based education or learning. You can change the word education to learning, which is a situation whereby we focus rather than on the time spent to reach particular objectives, we we flip the whole thing and we we fix the learning. The target of the learning is solidified and the time is the variable. Rather than marching students with varying levels of knowledge over a semester, a term, a quarter, trimester, whatever it's called, um, and hoping that 100% 100% make it to that endpoint. Now we're saying this is the end point in terms of the knowledge, let's help you get there irrespective of the time it takes you as an individual.
0: So potentially you could have somebody that could get through something fairly quickly uh, if they know that already. So
1: the answer is yes. And, and it's as quick as, uh, you know, those uh, credits for prior learning opportunities, you know, the prior learning assessments. And that could be a portfolio where you show what you're doing. Let's say you're in the arts and, and you come in with your guitar and I'm thinking about you and you play a, a gig there. Okay, we give you X number of, of credits or somebody who's a welder comes in and shows uh, things that they've done uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, There's also the challenge by exam, right? We've got uh, calculus one, and if you can knock it out with uh, 70% or more, uh, aka AC, then you get the credit. Uh, So yes, from that perspective. But there's also the element of, it doesn't really matter whether you know it, if you can learn it. We're assuming that the learning is uh, at the same pace in your classroom of 20 30 100 people whereas it's different based on the topic based on the on the instructor based on the student so how can we individualize it and this is nothing really new western governor governor's university is uh, run on this model i think southern new hampshire is largely on it alverno here in milwaukee has been doing it for decades uh, so it's uh, but it opens the door for a uh, possibility of some individuals who are looking for profit to tinker with it and not really provide the quality education. And those are things we can talk about.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I can see this being very advantageous, for example, to somebody that comes in as a non-traditional student that... You know, maybe I've been working, you know, as a manager in a retail store, fast food store, you know, and and I've got some of the the math knowledge and some of that understanding. But now maybe I don't have to take certain classes because I can pass out of them without doing that. Uh, I see that as a real advantage uh, for someone like that. But at the same time, if I'm a college administrator... I might be thinking now. Wait a minute here. I get funding based on people sitting in seats and taking classes. What does this do to my funding model? So that that's a wonderful question. Yes, if if it's
1: if it's students in seats over a particular time, then there's a potential for it to, in effect, hurt the bottom line. If we're thinking. Uh, about the student as a one-time customer but if we turn away that student by not recognizing what they come equipped with from their life and work then at the same time we're potentially not getting them to buy into or enroll into the other classes that they would benefit from right we turn them off at the same time Th- those same institutions, including ours, we accept International Baccalaureate, we accept Advanced Placement, we accept the CLEP, we accept the, the learning for, from the military and what that comes out on the DD214 uh, form and and so on. So why is that okay? But and, and we transfer from other institutions. So why is that okay versus a different learning that has happened uh, during the individual's life? Uh, I'm not convinced that it's all about uh,
0: the bottom line. Well, and I think one of the other questions that that people might have is, you know, what about the quality of learning, Uh, you know, and and higher ed, uh, four-year colleges in in particular are very good that, you know, we know best how to teach this class. uh, And we know best that when you take our version of whatever you're going to get high quality. uh, But if you come and take a test and and pass out of that, have you really put in the quality there?
1: Uh, Now you're really trying to irk a number of people. Uh, (laughs) So (laughs) not trying to dance around that point, but uh, many states have tried to implement uh, outcomes-based funding. For example, in California, uh, that they've started uh, not too long ago and they're calling it student centered, uh, some of the metrics are how many students have transferred, how many students have taken uh, completed, successfully completed transfer level classes in English and math, or how many students have uh, been successful from the promise. Background and what have you in Wisconsin. It's a little bit different. It's 30% of your total funding as an institution It's a three-year rolling average and they look at things like prior learning assessment They look at things as placement within the program of study. They at uh, some of those metrics Uh, What does it do to quality? I'm not convinced that either models of funding really is about quality the quality is what we make a fit within our, our classrooms. And yes, we know how to teach to the objectives, uh, but in reality, in many cases, we're isolated from what the industry really needs, which are the actual outcomes. So I, I think uh, in, in many ways, those uh, competency-based uh, education efforts um, are coming hand in hand with that urge to work with industry because industry doesn't just hire pure technical education students they hire every type of student and we talked about it uh, last week so uh, when they talk about um, critical thinking skills and we're teaching let's say uh, literature or we're teaching philosophy how i don't mean it in the meaning way but how hard or how straightforward is it to teach those skills that the industry really needs in those classes. That's a combat, competency-based education type approach, perhaps.
0: Yeah, and, you know, what industry needs is is key. We've heard it all the time. And, you know, it's it's more than simply a skill. It, it's, it's a set of soft skills, uh, you know, and that critical thinking is going to be right there uh, as a part of that. Right,
1: and then and then there's the element that we hear about quite often, uh, of of the cost of higher education. Right, it, higher education is extremely expensive. Lots of people are straddled with uh, debt, and also uh, the cost of Title IV education across the nation is in well over a hundred billion dollars. Uh, so so there's a. As a nation, higher education is more costly than than many uh, other nations so the idea for, for many politicians is, well, let's cap the cost of education. Is that the way to go about it? And is that the, the way to preserve the quality and the, of the learning? Uh, do the competency, competency-based education uh, opportunities provide for such um, initiatives? Um, those are things that need to be discussed. And I don't think in a sing- single entity has got it uh, right at this point. there are many uh, options out there. Um, but again, there are so many that have been doing it for decades
0: right it's it's a complex issue. Um, you know education is not by any means a black and white issue and you know you start adding in competency-based education and funding models and is this going to lower the cost of, of attendance for students, uh, which is something that I think a lot of students would love to see? Uh, it, there's a lot to uh, unpeel on this, this onion. So uh, we're going to wrap things up for today on competency-based education. In our next episode, we're going to talk about some more controversial things to make even more people mad. Uh, so I'll, I'll just leave you with that little tease there. If you enjoy Let's Talk Ed, be sure and subscribe if you're on YouTube. Ring that bell so you get notifications when we post new content. And of course, you can find Let's Talk Ed on all of your favorite podcasting platforms. So for Dr. Zahi Atala, I'm Chris Ford. We'll see you next time right here on Let's Talk Ed.